You're listening to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the Executive Director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of 1514. It's a pleasure to have you with us, and I'm excited to be back to interviewing people. I've had a couple of weeks of uh, classes where we've been sharing different episodes recorded from classes that I've been blessed to teach, but I'm back today with a guest uh, joining me via Zoom, Pat Quinn, Director of Counseling Ministry at Ref- uh, University Reform Church up near Lansing, Michigan. Pat, so thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, Curtis. Glad to be here. It's a real honor. Well, yeah, it's an honor to have you, and obviously I'm out of practice. I'm already stumbling over my words. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our audience so I don't trip up over it any more than I already have. Okay. I'm Pat Quinn, um, married to Judy for almost 44 years, have two grown kids. Our daughter, Stephanie, is a teacher, lives next door to us with with her husband and our two cute little granddaughters, and my son, Neil, is a church plant pastor down in Kalamazoo, and he and his wife, Leandra, have three kids, and uh, both my daughter and my daughter-in-law are are expecting children right now, so that's a great joy for us. I'm the director of counseling ministries at University Reformed Church, and uh, I have been at this church for uh, about 47 years, so I'm an old-timer at URC. I love the church, and it's been a great blessing to be here and for the last decade to be on staff here. Yeah, well, thank you for that introduction. And wow, what a what a time to have two grandchildren on the way. That's really exciting. We'll pray for their um, safety and delivery and all of that wonderfulness. Uh, as you mentioned already, you've been at uh, University Reformed Church since the, since the mid-70s and on staff for the last 10 years. And I thought that was a really interesting um just dynamic to see. I love seeing churches bring people on staff who are part of the body instead of always going out. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with going outside the church for staff, but tell us what that transition was like for you and how how that happened. Yeah, I I came to um, Michigan and uh, University Reformed in about 1973. I moved here from Chicago and really just moved here to go to this church. Oh, I wow. didn't I, I, I had sort of flunked out of college. Um, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a place to live. I just came here to be a part of this church and uh, did that and uh, went back to school, married my wife, and I've been here ever since. So being here a long time, um, by the time I it was a possibility for me to come on staff, I was a pretty known person. Uh, I'd been a worship leader. I've been an elder. Um had a number of opportunities to preach through the years. So uh, when our our present or our, our then pastor, Kevin DeYoung, was thinking about, boy, I would really like to have a biblical counseling ministry here. He thought of me. And so in talking to him, uh, we kind of thought of a plan. And eventually he asked me to write a job description. This was about 2008. And uh, I guess, you know, by that time I was pretty well known and uh, <clears throat> I guess trusted. So um, I, the first thing I did really was teach a biblical counseling class one summer 
in the evenings and just a lot of people, like 90 people signed up <clears throat> for that class. It was an evening class. Um, and at the same time, I started doing some just kind of informal counseling. People started seeking me out for counseling. And about 2008, Kevin said, why don't you write a job description? Mm. Uh, I was uh, teaching at a high school, a, a Christian high school at the time. Um, and so I did that. I wrote a job description for myself and uh, Kevin took it to the executive committee and they passed it. And so I came on part time in 2009 while I finished up my last two years teaching at uh, Christian high school as a Bible teacher. So I would work at the school in the morning and then I would come here in the afternoon. And then in 2011, I came on full time. Mm. So as I look back, it was a long process, uh, but clearly can see God's hand in it. When Kevin DeYoung came here, he was a fan of biblical counseling. I was too at that point. So that was a good mix. And we can, I can just see the Lord's hand in a lot of things. And like I said, I was kind of a known quantity. And immediately I had people wanting to get counseled and I started doing some training right away. So the Lord just kind of really worked all that out. Oh, that's fantastic. How did you get interested in biblical counseling? How did you get introduced to it? And what, what did that journey look like? Yeah. <clears throat> um, as I said, I was a Bible teacher at a Christian high school. And there were a couple seasons of 30 years of teaching there where the administration, for various reasons, kind of freed up part of my teaching schedule so that I could meet with students. Mm. Now, the first time that happened was way back in the early 90s, and I didn't know anything about biblical counseling. Uh, so my model at that time was kind of Larry Crabb and kind of more integration. Uh, but the second time that happened in the early 2000s, I had heard a couple tapes of David Paulison at a John Piper conference. Mm. And then I bought his first book, Seeing with New Eyes, <clears throat> which to this day is still the most marked up book I own. It was, <laughs> it was, like, it was revolutionary. Yeah. It made so much sense to me of my own experience. And it, it, I already loved the Bible. I loved, you know, teaching the Bible and I was realizing, well, this is just another way of sharing scripture with people one-on-one. -on -one. So I read that and I started devouring everything that CCF had, all their journals. They didn't have as many books in those days, but I read all those books. And uh, again, at the same time, people started seeking me out uh, at, at church. And I was also doing some counseling at school. <clears throat> and I was just finding it like, this is great. <laughs> this is ministry of the word. <clears throat> and it works and, and it glorifies God and it makes sense of what's going on in our lives. <clears throat> so it was really through David Paulison, um, whom I still consider, um, boy, just one of the great mentors and, hmm. and leaders yeah. uh, of this modern biblical counseling movement. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think many of, many of us uh, would testify to his influence in our lives and and uh, as a, if not the introduction to biblical counseling, one of the key people to shape us in, in our thinking and motivate us in our care for people. So yeah, absolutely. Um, it's really interesting. I, I hadn't planned on talking to you about the 
work that you did with students, but I've, I've had a few others um, in biblical counseling and even one of our council members who for a while was working in a school. And I, I love to highlight for people the many ways in which uh, we can apply biblical counseling, the many avenues that you can conduct it. So kind of off the, off the script a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about what that experience was like in a Christian school uh, having the freedom to meet with students and doing really soul care there in the, in the classroom or maybe on, in meetings, however you did that. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I found that I loved teaching Bible to a whole class, but I also really loved having the opportunity to meet one-on-one with kids. And I was already doing that. You know, mm-hmm. I was meeting with kids at lunch, just at my initiative, or sometimes they'd want to come in and just talk about issues. Um, family issues. Of course, kids deal with a lot of anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes sexual issues, uh, cutting. I mean, all kinds of things. So I loved the combination of being able to address a whole class with the truth and then being able to work through specific issues with people. And it was like I wasn't having to go from uh, theological, biblical language to psychological. It was mm. all the same thing. It was the same savior. It was the same gospel. And it just helped me to grow in my love for the gospel. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, Curtis, that when you meet with people and they let you into, you know, issues of their lives, you just, you just learn to love them. It's mm-hmm. like, you feel like it's such an honor to be invited into people's lives. And I love kids. I love I loved working with high school kids. So it just it just really was a joy. And I it just fed this desire to be able to do more of this. Yeah. No, that's great. No, it's a good it's a really good word. And I think an encouragement too to uh, Christian schools, uh, if there's any Christian school administrators and others out there, uh, that biblical counselors could and probably should be on staff as your if you have a school counselor, because I know many do. And I think what you were pointing out there, the this weird dichotomy that where a student could maybe go from a biblical a Bible class where they're learning all this stuff, but then if they have a real problem, they're sent over here to this counselor yeah. who's speaking to them in completely no scripture, devoid of any content there. That could be really confusing. It's like, yeah. great, the Bible's interesting, but it doesn't really affect right. my life when I have problems. And um, it's a whole different set of assumptions, isn't it? It's a yeah. whole different way of how do we understand who we are as people, mm. you know, secular psychology and even a lot of Christian psychology, there's not a necessary reference to God. Yep. And yet we mm. would say as image bearers, as worshipers, you can't understand anything about yourself without understanding who God is and how yeah. um, sin and suffering affect us and how Christ and the gospel embraces all of that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent on that. I, I think you get good biblical counselors or even teachers, because a lot of times kids will trust a particular teacher, make that part of their in-service training, you know, Hmm. Uh, just some basics of of biblical counseling, because kids are going to talk to you. You might as well be as helpful as you can. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I actually recently talked to Rick Horn, too, who who also worked a lot in, in schools as a school counselor and stuff. And it's yeah, they're gonna they're going to talk to somebody. They're going to go to somebody with their problems. And if, yeah. if our teachers, if our school counselors, people that they're with, 
you know, 36 to 40 hours a week are pointing them to scripture. That's going to be really, really uh, helpful supplement to hopefully what they're getting at home and definitely what they should be getting in the church. So, yeah. And they're seeing how scripture is relevant. Yep. Um, I mean, I, you'd certainly try to do that in Bible class. Yeah. And if you're gripped by the gospel, that will come across, but you can't, you can't always anticipate every issue that kids are dealing with. And if you're helping them to work through issues with their parents or, their own depression or, you know, their cutting or whatever. Um, the scripture comes alive and Christ is, is attractive and relevant mm-hmm. and beautiful. Well, and it's a two way street, kind of like, just like a pastor, he's going to be a better preacher if he's counseling. Similarly, you're going to be, like you mentioned, your, your Bible teaching classroom ministry was probably much uh, enhanced yeah. by your counsel. So. I even uh, I even snuck a David Powelson case study into my teaching on Galatians with sophomores. So, so yeah, because <laughs> it, was, it was a beautiful. It was a case study about a high school student. So yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's fantastic. Wow. Well, that wasn't on my radar at all, but it was really helpful, really good. Um, good. So, so you had mentioned you um, had been at. at University Reformed Church uh, for quite some time before you came on staff, um, and really you were brought on to to create and build the counseling ministry there. Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, just to give a little uh, context, um, back in probably the seventies, <clears throat> there had been an attempt to create a lay counseling ministry. Um, our first pastor asked a Christian psychologist who was on staff at Michigan State to come over and trace, train some lay counselors. I wasn't even a part of that. It wasn't mm-hmm. really on my radar then, but my wife was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a good man. He's an integrationist, but a good guy. And I'm sure they got some good training. Of course, they're going to be they're going to be taught to refer people if it's anything out of the kind of ordinary. But the the, the thing was, it that ministry never got any traction. People just weren't using those lay counselors. And then in the 90s, same pastor um, heard about Stephen Ministries. Mm -hmm. And so again, a number of people were trained in Stephen Ministries that was advertised. People's pictures were on the bulletin board of here are the Stevens Ministers. And again, it just didn't really get traction. Um, So maybe it was just third time was the charm, but (laughs) but by the time um, Kevin came, you know, there was question about, okay, there's, there's obviously lots of different models about how to help mm-hmm. people in church. Yeah. And Kevin was a fan of biblical counseling. And I was an elder at the time. This was probably 2005, six. And he, one elder meeting, he said, I've been praying for six months that we would start a biblical counseling ministry and that Pat would head it up. And that was kind of the catalyst <laughs> that, that kind of led into that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I can't remember exactly what you asked me, but <laughs> no, I was asking. Yeah, I was going to ask about the start of the ministry and how that. Oh got, yeah, 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 yeah. And so there wasn't anything going on in the early two thousands. Um, so I really did start it from scratch, uh, and immediately there were people that wanted counsel, and yeah. immediately I started training people. In the early days, I just used CCF stuff, and then after a couple of years, I started writing my own material, which was obviously heavily influenced by CCF. So right from the beginning, there was a need and a desire and a connection. And um, 
yeah, and for whatever reasons, that never that hadn't happened in the past with mm. a couple. Maybe the, maybe the Lord was just holding out for biblical counsel. Yeah, well, I mean, I think too the the um, one of the things I've seen and I've I've said it all the time is when Jesus said, "My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me." I think when people uh, begin to s- understand the concepts of sufficiency of Scripture and biblical counseling, it's like this light bulb goes on or this this gnawing itch that's been been in the back of their mind that there's something out there that really addresses the problems of life, and I, I it's got to be you know biblical or something. And then when they hear about it, it's like, ah, this big, huge aha moment. Like, yes, this is what I've been thinking about. This is what I've been looking for. I think, yeah, I think people sometimes have two, well, two, two ditches that it's easy to fall in. One would be a kind of, um, maybe we could call it sub-biblical, biblical counseling, where mm. it's kind of just very literalistic and, you know, the kind of take two verses and call me in the morning and very sin-centric and so on. And, and people know, oh, that, that doesn't feel right. But then the only other model is, well, the Bible's only useful for a pretty narrow, you know, range of issues. And so then, then you're into the psychology realm. And, and that seems helpful for a while. But when people find out, you know, there can be a, a, a really helpful way of looking through the lens of Scripture, mm-hmm. not proof texting everything. You can't look up a verse on bulimia and so on, but it's making sense of things. And it incorporates, if, if we can learn from anything else, but we're really applying gospel truth. I think people really do resonate. To that. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, the first time you taught a class, there's 90 people signed up. Yeah. And when yeah. we, when we started our counseling training center, when I was at a church in California, we had people saying, Oh, you know, we've done these theological training seminars, you, you might get 15, 20 people, but after three, three rounds of it, you'll be, you'll run out of people who are interested. And I left after three years of that ministry and we had a full class with a wait list every single time we offered it. I mean, it was just incredible. People want, uh, yeah. So no, that's fantastic. Uh, one of the things that's interesting well, tell me, tell me first of all, how is the how much has the how has the ministry grown and changed over the last decade? Well, in some ways, I think really well, and I'll I'll tell you one way that I feel like I've not been incredibly effective. Little full disclosure here, um, I've had a chance obviously to counsel a lot of people. People at URC kind of get first priority, mm-hmm. but again, even from the beginning, just word of mouth and stuff, I was counseling people from other churches in the area which was great because it, it just provided a connection with our community. Uh, I started doing counseling training classes, usually two a year, pretty early. And again, a lot of that has, uh, it's been people from other churches mm-hmm. had a privilege of working with people from crew and other churches. Um, somewhere along the line, maybe six, seven years ago, I started a group, which is now called the mid Michigan biblical counselors. And we have meetings every other month to kind of just connect and pray and support and talk about counseling issues and maybe even explore ways we could impact the community. It started out as just Greater Lansing, and now it's people from Ann Arbor and, and so on, too. So I think the ministry has grown in the sense that it's it's impacted the community um, and even reached out beyond. 
I, I don't feel like I've been as effective in just, you know, you hear about certain churches that are just reduplicating counselors all the time, mm-hmm. like hundreds mm-hmm. of lay counselors. <laughs> and I don't feel like, I think it's partly, I don't feel like I have great administrative gifts. Mm. And I sort of feel like I've been, I've been trying to be like a, a CCF all by myself, you know, teach all the classes, do all the counseling. And then when you, and I, and I feel like that's been reasonably effective, but when you want to, you know, make sure that, uh, that people are well-trained, there's gotta be observation both way and you just sort of run out of time. Yeah. So right yeah. now I'm in my second year of training, uh, a smaller number of people in kind of an intensive, and these are hmm. just people from the church. And the goal is that they will be officially recognized as, as, as other counselors. I'm already referring people to them, but you know, they'll, they'll be recognized publicly and so on. But that area of kind of reduplicating myself, um, I feel like that's not been as strong as the actual counseling and the actual classes. I, I think it, you got to have a vision for administration and how that's going to work. And yeah. Well, that's a good, that's a good word. I love, uh, some of my mentors have always pointed out that failure or in weakness shouldn't, shouldn't shy away from those things. They're great teachers. Uh, so we need, we can grow and learn from that. So thanks, thanks for sharing that. Uh, I'm sure the ministry's grown as well. And, and like you said, doing lots of counseling, um, one of the things that is maybe unique about your church, not entirely, uh, there are other churches like this, but in its name, University Reformed Church, you guys are just up the road. I think it's a seven-minute uh, commute if I, when I looked it up from uh, <clears throat> Michigan State University. Um, how has the proximity of the university influenced your, your church's ministry, but specifically uh, the biblical counseling ministry? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, the church was started in 1966 as a campus ministry mm-hmm. and our original campus. Uh, well, originally we met on campus in the alumni chapel, a, a Michigan state building. And then in about 1975 built a building right on the East end of campus. Mm-hmm. So it's always, that's always been the bread and butter of the, of the church right from the beginning. Now my generation those who went to college in maybe the late 60s, early 70s, a number of us, after we graduated, stayed there. And we got married and worked here. And and so now uh, the demographic of the church has changed from maybe primarily students and faculty and and so on. We still, still campus ministry is, is the main, it's the number one sort of priority but the demographic of the church is, you know, we have a lot of young families. We have hundreds of kids. Um, <laughs> we have we have middle agers, and we have a pretty good contingent of what I would call aging saints like me. Um, but campus ministry, I mean, we would be foolish with this, you know, university of 40,000 students and campus ministry. I mean, college is such a crucial time of life right i mean yeah. these people are are forming their philosophies of life and their habits and relationships and and so on so so that's still very 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 important and when i first came on you know i was i had been involved in some campus ministry when i was even when i was in college 
And I was working with campus staff on our staff. So immediately uh, some campus people asked me to do some training um, so that they could, you know, uh, be a little bit more familiar with how to help students that are struggling with anxiety or depression or sexual yeah. issues and so on. Uh, I've also had opportunities to, to speak to our campus group. So, um, yeah, I've, I've been involved and I've also counseled a fair a, a number of, uh, of college students. As well as one year, I had a halftime intern, young woman, and second semester, when I started to refer people to her, they were college co-eds. So mm. even there, the, the kind of feeding uh, of, of counseling ministry was, was to the campus. So uh, huge impact on the church. Uh, certainly that has overflowed to um, my heart for college students. It's such a crucial time. There, there are such unique opportunities, but also unique temptations and yeah. struggles. Yeah. And, and COVID, as you know, as you know, a, a lot of students right now are struggling with loneliness. Mm. They're back with mom and dad. They're not having fellowship. Anxiety's up. Um, and then when, when students are maybe right out of college, there's a huge desire to get married. Yeah. And, that becomes a huge issue. So yeah, all those things have impacted not only the church, but, but camp or uh, counseling ministry. Do you see, uh, I, I kind of want to take those two veins, both the training and the counseling side of things with the college students. Um, do you find a lot of college students really interested in the getting trained in biblical counseling and pursuing the, the classes that you have there? Um, I would say they're more interested in getting counseled, so, <laughs> uh, but uh, there have been, I've even had one or two high school students who have been in the classes. Yeah. Um, those are kind of a bit precocious people, you know, to, to want to take a biblical counseling class. Uh, I would say though, some, some young adults, maybe people in grad school or, you know, young working people, I would say that's when the interest may start to, to be there hmm. in general yeah. um, for, I, for getting training. Yeah. I was curious because, you know, my office, we office here at the campus of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and an adjunct at Boyce College, the college here at Southern. So we have classes full of student, you know, undergrad students wanting to be trained, but that's part of their coursework. And I was just curious with the, at a secular university, if they would, one have the time uh, to add these classes to it, but also the the interest because uh, I think it could be an interesting outreach opportunity, especially if they're there for a season. And then uh, that's one of the things about campus ministry, right? Is you get them for a few years and then they're on to all over the yeah. world. A great missionary kind of model of of equipping saints yeah. to go somewhere else. Um, the other thing about my training is, I mean, it's fairly rigorous. It goes from yeah. October to May and it's two hours a week. I tell people <laughs> you can take it for credit or audits. I really encourage you to take it for credit, which means you have to show up, you get five free absences and you got to do all the homework. Yeah. And there's some, there's regular writing to do and some big projects. So uh, for some students, it would be like taking another class right, and right. they would have to really, first of all, most of them don't come to MSU knowing anything about biblical mm -hmm, counseling. Mm -hmm. 
Um, they might hear me speak about it and that might pique their interest. Uh, so there might be a couple, but but usually it's if they've been in the church for a while, um, young adults, maybe right out of college. Yeah, no, that's a yeah, I was just curious, uh, just thinking through that, what that would be like on the counseling side of things. Have you seen an uptick either in the number of students coming for counsel or the severity of the issue uh, of the things that students are coming for? Pre, even pre-COVID, obviously COVID is a just a weird thing, but, um, I think we've, I've seen in other places and talking to other people with the, I'm not, and I'm not sure exactly why, if it's the more familiarity and comfort with mental health conversation. Uh, but man, the, the number of students we, I mean, the types of, when I talk to the counselors here on campus, it's like the types of issues that people are dealing with now, or compared to 20 years ago, just, much, much harder. And I'll say, sure. Uh, I would say there may have, you know, if I'm looking over the last year or two or three, maybe some, some increase in numbers. Mm. Um, as far as issues and intensity, uh, I, I haven't had, I, people, people ask me when the, during this whole COVID thing, Oh, well, people must be coming to you all the time you know, because of COVID. And I said, well, I don't think I've had anybody come to me and say, can we talk about COVID? It's not so much that it's, but it's related issues, you know, loneliness, uh, anxiety, depression. And of course those, those propensities were already there, but the, the stress brings those out. So I would say uh, there's probably been an uptick in the, the intensity of issues that were probably already there, yeah. but the COVID has exacerbated it. Yeah. Be- before COVID, um, in the last 10 years, have you seen a growth in the, um, the, uh, the severity of the, the issues the students are bringing like pre COVID, um, cause I, I don't know, I've just talked to some deans or other things like that, that work on college campuses and they're saying, you know, 20 years ago, we might, we had some kids who were struggling with like rebellion, frustration with parents, loneliness, wanting to get married, stuff like that. But, um, in the last decade, maybe even more, there's like the cutting serious depression, a lot of them coming on medications already. Um, the, yeah, I don't know, know with diagnoses, that, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? I don't know. You know, probably since I've only been doing this, you know, formally for 10 years, probably that was already starting. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I've seen an uptick in that in the last 10 years. But what you're saying about the last 20 years would make a lot of sense. I mean, there's the whole gamut of sexual issues, con- sexual confusion, sexual yeah. yep. gender issues. Um yeah, depression and anxiety, abuse, mm, yep. uh, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm sure there's a, a fairly big difference if you go back far enough. But yeah, and yeah, I haven't really thought about in the last ten years, um, with maybe the exception of I don't know, you know, issues like same sex attraction. Yeah, probably more now. Yeah, 
No, definitely. That, I think that makes sense. And I think those are, that's a pretty wide trend as well. Those sometimes just those things being discussed culturally, uh, oh, yeah. open oh, yeah, up yeah, the yeah, opportunity yeah. for people or even the open up the concept, the idea, uh, of those things. So now, uh, I think, I think for young people, it has become not only comfortable, but almost fashionable yeah. to get counseling. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> that that oh, yeah. used to be, you know, yeah. it's almost like now people expect in high school or college. Yeah. I've got my therapist and I'll probably stay with them or somebody for the rest of my life. Yep. Yeah. And what I say to people is you do not want to counsel with me for the rest of your life. <laughs> that, that would not be good. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. Yeah. I don't think you, I don't think you could listen to a celebrity interview in the last few years without at some point them dropping in, their therapist or the fact that they are going to a therapist at some point it's it's yeah it's very fashionable so um yeah interesting well uh we're a little bit over our normal time but it's been a really good conversation i was curious if you um because as you said your church started as a campus church uh been reaching out the entire time to college campus campuses with with biblical counseling in the in the fray what advice, encouragement would you have for other churches who are in college towns, university towns, uh, about how they can reach out to and minister to that to that body? Well, the first thing you know is really obvious, and that would be um, don't don't miss the opportunity to reach out to the campus somehow. I mean, not every church thinks of itself as it going to have a, a ministry to to college students, but it's such a it's such a right time. So I would, I would encourage every church that is near some kind of campus to, even if it's one day a week, you know, devote some time to reaching out. Um, and I would say, make that part of your training just for your staff. You know, you, you can impart some pretty significant biblical counseling truths, uh, you know, in a couple of weekends or, you know, just a uh, once a week for you know a few months or something because they're going to if they're going to in, interact seriously with students they're going to interact with these kinds of issues yeah and we know that it's such a it's such an opening for the gospel because all these issues you know whatever they are ultimately they point to the heart and you know jesus says whatever's in the heart that's what's going to come out and it's such a wonderful entree so no, nothing very re- revolutionary there, but but reach out to your campus and, you know, there's so many good biblical counseling resources now. Yeah. Even more than when I started. Um, there's just a plethora of, you know, there's the Biblical Counseling Coalition, which didn't <laughs> exist for about another year. So um, get some training. Read read Side by Side by Ed Welch. That's a good mm. starting place. Or Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands or go through some of the CCF or ACBC material and, and just get familiar with how to go, you know, below the behavior, below, below the circumstances to issues of the heart. And I love to think of biblical counseling as it's just remedial discipleship. Yeah. So it's part of the great commission. It's evangelism to troubled people. So wonderful opportunities there. Yeah, no, that's that's a good good word and good reminder. Um, well, we saved the last. There's a number of other questions I had, but we're out of time. 
I will encourage our listeners to go check out your albums that are on uh, the website at your church. I was really, I really enjoyed uh, the Pilgrim album. I was listening to that yesterday while I was researching for this interview, and it was really, really good. So thanks for Thank sharing you, that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the, the last two minutes, though, I reserve for a segment called Two Minute Favorites, and I won't ask you what your favorite song is, but uh, are you, you ready for this? I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. All right. Uh, let's see here. And I'll try to do better than David Paulson did. <laughs> well, Dave, yeah, David is our, is our, I think he holds the record for the fewest questions answered. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to go through them real quick. All right. Uh, so here we go. What is your favorite food? Prime rib. What is your favorite gift you've ever received? Uh, one Christmas, my wife and I went to a wedding and I did not know this, but she had planned for us to have a weekend getaway. And so after the reception, she kind of pirated me away to a movie that she knew I wanted to see. And then we stayed at a hotel for a couple nights. Best gift ever. Yeah, that's great. Favorite gift ever given? Um, several years ago, there was a, a couple. There was a, There's a number of families from our church that used to live in our neighborhood. Not so many now. There was a young couple that was going to adopt a child. And they didn't have the money, I think it was, to go over to this country mm. to do something. So we took up a secret collection, and I was one of two people that got to go to their house and give them a check for $1,500. Wow. That, was, that was wonderful. Yeah, that's special. Uh, favorite word? Grace. Least favorite word? Boring. I think, I think children should be banned from using that <laughs> word. Uh, favorite book of the Bible? Romans. Favorite extra biblical book or outside scripture? Well, at least right now it's Gentle and Lowly by uh, mm. Dane Ortland, and I'm sure that that will stay on my list forever. That's great. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite sport? Uh, tie between pro football and tennis. Uh, favorite sports team? Michigan State basketball. Yeah. Favorite Bible verse? <laughs> uh, second Corinthians 4 7. Uh, we have this treasure in jars of clay mm. to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Favorite ice cream flavor? Haagen-Dazs, white chocolate raspberry truffle. <laughs> Favorite candy? Anything with caramel in it. Favorite uh, quote? John Newton, when he was old, said, I'm old now and I've forgotten many things, but two things I remember. I am a great sinner. Christ is a great savior. Hmm. Amen. Well, our time is up and that was a good way to end. Sorry for the groan there. I don't usually try to comment too much, but a college basketball fan from the West Coast, I can't love Michigan State. <laughs> I'm a Spartan. I bleed green. Well, I have, I have Spartans in the, in the extended family and we, we tolerate them, you know, that's, okay. that's the way it goes. Okay. So, <laughs> well, Pat, thanks so much for being with us on 1514 day. It was a real pleasure. It was a pleasure to be with you, Curtis. Thank you for listening to this episode of 1514. If you'd like to know more about the ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcounselingcoalition.org. You can also contact us at podcast at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to Carrie Felton, our podcast producer, who arranges and coordinates these interviews, and James Wills, our podcast engineer, who does the sound editing and makes these episodes sound so great. I thank you for being with us again and hope you can join us next time on 1514.